Welcome to Bioinnovator Spotlight at Life Science Org, where we listen to the life science leaders of tomorrow tell their story and discuss their challenges as founders and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, scientist turned communicator, Dr. David Kirk. Let's meet today's founder. I'm joined this week by Bakul Gupta, CEO and co-founder at Imtune Therapies, a cell and gene therapy startup based in Stevenage and London. Bakul, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to a conversation. Please tell us a little bit about your scientific background. I understand you're more from the chemistry, the nanomaterial side. How did you get involved in the life science? Yep, uh, that's correct. So my background, uh, my undergrad and my PhD, uh, both are in nanotechnology uh, and chemistry, So, uh, which was essentially developing different types of nanomaterials before... Uh, nanotech became cool with COVID vaccines. Uh, so we've been working with nanomaterials for the last 15 years, uh, designing them, de uh, synthesizing them, characterizing them, and then really using them. Uh, I always had this intention of using them for a biomedical application. Why I'm interested in the life sciences and healthcare is, I, I think it stems from my family. My parents are doctors. Uh, yeah. Most of my uh, family is full of actually my family is full of doctors so i think like i always had that uh, ingrained into me while i was growing up uh yeah looking after patients seeing patients or uh, treating patients mm -hmm. so i wanted to do that uh when i grew up uh and uh, i i think my my path was slightly different because i didn't want to be a clinician as such but right. i wanted to yeah understand a bit more on the science and make products uh using using my knowledge essentially that can help patients down the line um, and that's why, I, yeah, that's what we try to do now at Intune, but we can talk about that. Yes. <laughs> uh, are your family very supportive of you in what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, they, they really enjoy the cutting edge, uh, nature of what we do, but mm -hmm. having said that they are clinicians, so they are set in their own ways as well. So they like to work with things, uh, that are already quite well established. Uh, so they're not on the research side, so they are mostly yeah on the clinical side but definitely being supportive throughout. I think it was my mom who told me about this nanotech degree that was offered in Australia when I started my undergrad. So, yeah. Wow. And it must be interesting as well to have that pool of knowledge, to be able to talk to clinicians and have that direct line, even if they are family. But to kind of have that, I don't think a lot of people in the startup uh, therapeutics world get that. Definitely. I think definitely. Yeah. So like, yeah, because... Uh, I have a big, uh, yeah, I'm of Indian origin, so a big family, a big <laughs> network of people uh, as well. So given that my both my parents are doctors, so yeah, tapping into clinicians is has not been a challenge for us so far. But mm -hmm. as you say, like the wealth of knowledge uh, and the experience that you get from these people, and just me calling them uncle and aunts is super easy. Like for me to just reach out and be like, I want to, yeah, understand a bit more on this and understand a bit more on that. Yeah. So I take, yeah, I've always taken doctors for granted. Uh, I think I continue to do that. <laughs> and even when we are yeah, talking to clinicians here in the UK, uh, I, I tend to have that mentality. Where I'm like, oh yeah, they'll they'll tell us what they, what we want to know. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 great. I think it's it's definitely um, uh, definitely helped me. Awesome. Uh, and tell me about how you decided to become a founder. How did you transition from the academic world to the to now the business world? Yeah. So for me, I, I think uh, 
as I said, like research was something that I was very interested in. I wanted to build something from scratch. That that was something ingrained in me from from uh, from a very young age. Yeah. I thought of it like I always had this plan or vision, let's say, uh, that I'll do my undergrad, do my PhD, and then do something of my own. So it was never about oh yeah, let's try what works for us. It was very set in my in my head. Um, and for me to become a founder, I think. That was the next obvious thing. Once I finished my postdoc at Imperial College, uh, it was either yeah continue into academia, which I didn't really want to do because of the timelines involved. Like I was like again very very passionate about building something, so I was like okay, I've done my PhD, I've done my postdoc, and it's not really um, it's it's given me a, tr- a truckload of knowledge, but it's not really helped me build the product uh, from scratch. Uh, and startups, so I had done my first. Um, startup uh, let's say during my phd so that was in australia so that was trying to translate my phd work into a more commercialized product and that's the first time i actually entered into the world of um, uh, entrepreneurship and i really liked it i think i loved the fact that you are solely responsible for what you like for for everything good that happens for everything bad that happens so it's basically running a project on your own and but with a vision of getting it in our case to health patients. So for me, that step was, I think I knew that's going to happen. It, it was just a timing of when when I take the plunge and just uh, let go of my comfortable like yeah postdoc position and just yeah and be a founder because of like first couple of years for us as a uh, for me and my co-founder really really tricky because we started right before uh, the pandemic. Right. So funds as as young founders as young people who've. Yeah, never raised funds before, um, and even building a team that it was tricky. But then once you start laying the uh, blocks for it, I think you laying the uh, solid foundation, which for us was like very strong science. Um, I think, yeah, pieces do fall into 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 the puzzle. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not a puzzle. And I think like there's a lot to navigate. Definitely, I'm not saying that we've sorted everything out. Like, it's still very hard. But I think. Yeah, we've we've made some progress in the last yeah. couple of years, uh, and hopefully we continue to do that. And it sounds like you're on the right path. And I think that there's an interesting thing about if you founded before the pandemic or during the pandemic, you have to go through this very unique crucible. And if you come out the other side, you're you're laughing basically. <laughs> if you've made it that far, there's nothing that uh, that can stand in your way. Yeah, so I think the COVID definitely, like the pandemic definitely helped us because we we just uh, we started in June of 2019, so literally six months before uh, wow. 19 hit, um, and we had raised a pre-seed round, so we had some money in the bank, but what COVID held up helped us was because we were raising yeah uh, the next round was essentially everything was on video, right? So we weren't flying, we weren't buying tickets, we weren't staying in hotels or whatever. So we saved a lot of money and all that money went into our, our, our R&D. Mm-hmm. So like for us, it was a blessing in disguise. Like I didn't have to go travel anywhere in the world. It was just, yeah, being being in, being in at home even, not even in our lab <laughs> uh, and just taking those calls. The other, the flip side of that was, it was hard because people didn't know us. We were straight out of academia. Like I don't have 50 years in academia or industry so for people to get comfortable with us was was a challenging bit because they didn't know who we were we were just fresh off the boat let's say out of a, yeah out of a postdoc both me and my co-founder that was really hard and i've seen the difference now because when we meet people it's like oh yeah i spoke to you in 2019 2020 oh you were that person 2021 right. so it definitely 
helps, but I think pandemic had its advantages for us, like, yeah, getting, getting um, started off. Cool. And let's talk about the, uh, about Imtune therapies and what you're focusing on with it. It's, it's cell and gene therapy, but what is the great unmet need that you are addressing with the company? Yeah, so before we started Imtune, uh, both uh, so George and my co-founder, George and I were part of a venture studio called Deep Science Ventures, mm-hmm. uh, which is based uh, in London here in the UK. Uh, and the way it works is they get uh, scientists and en- engineers like me and George um, to go after a challenge that we're interested in or we have expertise in. So I was looking into using nanomaterials for drug delivery applications. George was looking into his area of expertise, uh, oncology, or let's say immuno-oncology in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kept coming back. So we did a lot of market research. So as part of this uh, venture studio, we, we were there for six months. So we did a lot of um, interviews and meetings with industry leaders, KOLs, academics, to really understand what people were missing in these two fields. Like what, uh, what was the main challenge? And we kept co- running into this problem of, manufacturing, like manufacturing of cell and gene therapies or advanced therapies is very tricky, it takes a long time, it's really costly. And as a result, the therapies are very expensive. So um, for example, the CAR-T immunotherapy, which um, you may or may not have heard of, which is essentially treating previously uncurable cancers. So it's it's really powerful treatment, but it costs the NHS 500,000 pounds per dose per patient. So, uh, and and as a result, NHS has limited the number of patients to just 200 in a year, right? Because they can't afford oh. treating more than that, which means we're basically leaving 80 to 90% or even 95% of the patient population who could be eligible for this really powerful treatment, but they don't have access to it. So again, it came down. So we were trying to understand yeah, what what is the missing piece? Why does it why is it so expensive and why does it take so long? So right now it takes anywhere between three to six weeks. Uh, for patients to get get access to this therapy. And this is after they've gone through, I think, weeks and weeks of uh, interaction with their uh, clinicians. Um, so yeah, we we were seeing, and it, it actually just boiled down to the way these therapies are manufactured. It yeah. was, which is um, people use viral vectors uh, to make these therapies in a biomanufacturing facility. So for UK, we don't even have a site here in the UK. It's either in the EU or... Um, um, uh, mainland Europe or in the U.S. somewhere, and that's why the uh, the time it takes to get the therapies to the patient is even longer here in the UK. Yeah. So it ranges between six to eight weeks, for example. Here, yeah. I know like people are trying to reduce it, and that's uh, that's great. But we were really going after the root cause, and for us, it was ex vivo manufacturing, which is essentially built, taking, uh, uh, doing, uh, creating these therapies outside patients, and also using viral vectors. So we were like, okay. What if we do this in patients? We create these therapies directly in patients and not use viral vectors. So that's where my understanding of using nanoparticles came into play. I was like, okay, we can make particles that are much safer than viruses that we can inject in in patients. Uh, and luck- and again, so COVID helped us there because we had the uh, nanoparticle-based vaccines, so uh, Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna ones. So we knew that we can scale these nanoparticles up to a billion dose plus scale, plus uh, at an affordable cost, um, and also these particles were safe in in patients. And of course, there were like a couple of other products that were out in the market. So for us, it was very clear that okay, yeah, nanoparticles are safe and they can be used in vivo uh, or in patients. Um, and 
and then the next challenge was how do we um how do we make these nanoparticles targeted and efficient at uh, creating the therapies in vivo right so for yeah. us like it's and that's that's one of that's our key mission right to develop uh, uh efficient and um uh targeted nanoparticle delivery vectors for inpatient uh, or in vivo cell engineering. That's literally our tagline. Yeah. Uh, and why that is, is because, again, if you want to make things in patients to overcome the manufacturing and the uh, the time challenges, we have to make these vectors scalable, safe, efficient, and targeted. Because, again, you want to just focus on the cells that you're really interested in genetically modifying in this case uh, to ensure that there are no off-target effects. And that's, again, where... Yeah, my knowledge of using nanoparticles or making nanoparticles came into play along with George's immense knowledge on yeah everything biology or immunology related. So we yeah, so that's how we. I'm sorry, I've even forgotten what the question was. But you're answering it. You're okay. <laughs> uh, but this is this is how Intune came into play, and this is uh, how we decided into why in vivo or inpatient um, therapies are needed. So we're starting off with CAR T immunotherapy, but as I said, what we're building are these delivery vectors that are uh, safe, scalable, and efficient and targeted. Uh, then we'll, uh, uh, I think, uh, look into other indications beyond oncology. So not just focusing ourselves to CAR Ts and yeah. uh, blood cancers, but really helping uh, solid tumor cancers, autoimmune diseases, infectious diseases, where the patient populations are even massive, uh, even more, right? Like larger mm. as compared to a cancer. Yeah. So again, giving giving these really um, uh, sick patients or patients who don't even have access to curative treatment options, bringing it, bringing these therapies to them, and saying, you know what, we can cure you, and we can do that at an affordable rate. That's our ultimate goal, like to create therapies for everyone, um, irrespective of where they are in the world. Yeah, and that is the key bottleneck. I think that manufacturing has always been highlighted as the bottleneck. I went to, I think it was just before the pandemic as well, I went to a cell uh, or no, CAR TCR uh, conference in London. It was my last conference before the pandemic, February 2019, or mm -hmm. sorry, February 2020. And uh, that was, everybody was just talking about the manufacturing bottleneck and the, the costs associated with that. And how do we bring it down? I, I love your solution to it, inpatient as well, because it's it, it gets rid of the, the speed factor, the time factor, which is so critical for treating patients. Exactly. And and also the potency, right? We're not taking cells out. Mm. So as soon as you take cells out, they're not in the native environment. Like we yeah. know that. And obviously we can add synthetic factors to it to make it look like it's like, yeah, you are still in your native environment, but cells do respond differently. So our entire belief is like, oh, if you do it in vivo or in patients, we can actually build a much more potent therapy. So yeah, yeah CAR-Ts are associated with like side effects, et cetera. And again, doctors have learned how to manage it, but our entire thinking is again, why why do why does a patient need to go through that if if he can make the therapy itself much more potent without any side effects? Exactly. Already, yeah. Tell me as well, what is the biggest challenge facing you as a co-founder, as a CEO uh, of a startup today? Raising funds. Definitely is like something that like I'm sure every every biotech founder tells you that because we never stop raising money. Uh, and that's something that one of my advisors told me is like as a CEO, you'll never stop raising money, even if it's not an active, active, uh, actively open round. Hmm. Uh, so fundraising right now, especially like luckily we're in a spot where we close our seed round um, in 2022. So last year. Uh, so we're good for now, but but planning ahead, right? Like that's the again, that's my job as a CEO. Hmm. Like we foresee um so i think fundraising definitely 
and just getting um um I would say relevant data that excites or interests people because again, as I said, like COVID vaccines, everyone now knows about nanoparticles. So uh, people people have this perception that oh, everybody is doing nanoparticles, but really differentiating ourselves from others and saying, you know what, yeah, yeah, X Y Z company is doing this, and Intune is doing this, and this is why we different uh, differentiated from uh, from that particular technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our focus is very very. Uh, we we are very determined in getting these nanoparticle delivery vectors targeted and safe um of safe for use so that we can do anything in vivo or in patients. Yeah, cool. Yeah. It's a, so uh, yeah, fundraising and yeah, just getting yeah enough differentiation and interest from them. The differentiation is a an interesting challenge. I think it's. I think it's, that's biotech overall, right? Like yeah. I'm sure, like every every biotech fund because. Yeah, there's there's so much happening in the space, um, so it's very important to protect us. That's what yeah. investors want to know. It's like, why are you different from everybody else? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, finally, Bakul, thank you so much for this conversation. I have to say, it's been it, it's been great listening to what you what you're doing with uh, Imtune and just the approach that you're taking as well. Um, but uh, the last question I have for you is: uh, Do you have a book or maybe a documentary that you can share? Uh, to our listeners, to other founders, to potential founders out there uh, that has helped helped you either relax or shape your thinking as a, as a founder? Yeah, so I think I read this book right before I started him, you know, right before like I, I decided to finish my postdoc or end my postdoc. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so it is, I'm sure a lot of people have read it. It's very popular. Um, start... Start with why. Start with your why. I'm forgetting mm-hmm. the title now. The Simon uh, Sinek's uh, book, which is essentially yeah. looking at why are you interested in doing whatever you want to do next. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was very, very critical at that point because I was again tossing with this idea of like, should I just extend my postdoc and be comfortable with what I'm doing versus what I really wanted to do. And then it came down to understanding why was I so interested in starting my own company and going through yeah. this entire process. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy, and it's not. It's not for people who are not, uh, who do not understand their why. Mm. And it's very, very, I think that was my key learning, especially during COVID when things weren't the best and we couldn't even get the data that we, we had promised our investors, et cetera, because of the labs being closed. I was like, why Why are you on this path? Why are you going through this um, really challenging time when you, you have the other option of just being really comfortable by working elsewhere? So I think that was, um, and I know Simon talks about it from a, a company perspective, but this was the reason why I think it helped me yeah. uh, really focus and not 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 get bogged down by the challenges that we face as a company or mm. personally. Excellent. Well, thank you for those recommendations and thank you for chatting with me. Uh, wish you the best of luck and hopefully we will have you on the show again in the future. Great. Thank you. Are you a life science CEO in Europe? Go to lifescienceorg.com, where you can connect, share, and engage with a community of your peers. We have a platform just for early stage founders too. You can join there at nextgen.lifescienceorg.com.